Here we go. Hi and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs who are committed to planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Celine Costo. Celine is a humanitarian and environmental activist working with a variety of mediums that range from documentaries to art, from consulting with corporations and foundations to public speaking. And each of those forms shares the same message of interconnectivity between humans and the natural world. And as a documentary film director, producer, and presenter, Celine is the founder and executive director of Cause-Centric Productions, creating cause-focused content. Her newest film is called Tribes at the Edge, and I just had the pleasure to watch it here in Victoria and British Columbia. Uh, it's portraying the life of indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest. And Celine, with these words, welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. You are such an activist. You're, you're, you're on the grounds and you're also doing the like larger consciousness and media work. And so I'm, I'm inspired. And I want to talk s straight away about the Amazon and your, your um, latest movie, Tribes at the Edge. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, in recent times, a lot of people have um, paid attention to the Amazon again because of the news that's been um, shared about all the fires, the increasing fires that are happening. Um, what is alarming to me is that it takes a crisis for people to pay attention. Mm. And um, that's really what I'm pulling from recent times. I've been working on Tribes on the Edge since 2013 at the request of the indigenous people of this territory called the Valle de Javari um, for me to tell their story to the world. They want the world to know they exist uh, and they don't want to go extinct, which is, I, I say it very clearly that way because we talk about the extinction of animals, polar bears, dolphins, whatever it is. And yet I have somebody look at me in the eye and say, I don't want to go extinct. I don't want my people to die. And that's the root of that story, but it's a complicated and difficult one to tell. And, um, you know, as time is a testament to it, it's now 2019 and 2013 is when I started filming. But it's much more than a film. And I think that that's the important part is telling a story is great because we can share across all different kinds of media platforms, but it's what you do with that story that matters. Yeah, I love that you made the story in the film. So people like myself and everyone who's curious, who is listening to this right now can, you know, like understand more, learn about the Javari, learn about the, the landmass as big as Portugal in the Brazilian uh, rainforest mm -hmm. that I think houses like what, 7,000 people? Um, Just about, yeah, it's yeah. Um, six different ethnicities um, that are contacted and they number 5,000 people. And there's thought to be somewhere around 13 other ethnicities that are uncontacted and they number about 2000. So 7,000 people living in an area that's 85,000 square kilometers, the size of Portugal, Austria, or for the Americans, the state of Maine. And right. um, they are the natural guardians of that rainforest. There's no deforestation on their land. So they are naturally preventing destruction um, in that ecosystem. And so you said it, they invited you and they asked you, they requested you to create this story with them, not, not just about them. Mm -hmm. And in the movie that really comes out, um, even though, of course, um, your team is, is a team of Westerners who who's, has the, the grounding in our Western culture, right? Um, and and the, the, the media ability and kind of ins and outs. 
but what is it that 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 the indigenous tribes that you're in touch with what is it that they're really needing right now or what is it that how is it that people can help because i think it's it's exciting to talk about that right away in the beginning of the episode how can people get activated and actually support and go beyond this like depressive feeling that it does take place in me when i read all the headlines about the amazon these days well i think first of all um taking that depressing feeling and using it as fuel for action that's that's the way to go forward don't get depressed and you know drown your sorrows in a nap and a glass of wine um, use it as fuel, use it as something powerful. When, if, if it were personal to you, you would do that. If it were something that personally affected you, you would stand stronger to fight it. So the first step is to understanding why their story is relevant to ours. If we think about it, 20% of our oxygen comes from the Amazon, where there are indigenous territories, there's no deforestation in that ecosystem. They are providing a natural barrier to destruction for oxygen, we all depend on. So it's our story. Um, there's illegal activities happening all over the Amazon from logging to fishing and hunting to gold mining. Um, and then there's obviously the threats to indigenous land, indigenous rights, uh, threats to the environment. Despite all of that, and, and I wanna, as you said, I wanna move past all of that. We've seen the headlines, we're depressed. It's big, it's hard. I've gotten the question, what can we do about the fires? My answer is you can't throw a bucket of water on it. You have to think the next step is prevention to the territories that are currently protected. So how can mm -hmm. we do that? I would say first and foremost, um, be a conscious consumer. What is it that you're using in your household that is contributing to the destruction of that ecosystem? Look at simple things like palm oil, soy, and beef that are exported out of countries like Brazil that are directly impacting um, and destroying the Amazon. So that would be one one start. Uh, there's quite a lot of information now online about corporations that are currently completely connected to that destruction, but there are also corporations that are taking steps and measures to shift where they're sourcing um, their products. And, you know, that's public pressure. The amount of news that came out with the destruction of the Amazon has pushed some of these corporations to make a change. Are they doing it because out of you know, love and honor? Maybe not. Are they doing it because it's good PR and marketing? Maybe yes. In the end, does that matter? Not to me. So what matters is that it's getting it done. As long as it's getting done, right? As long as it's getting it done. So as a consumer, be really smart about what you're buying and put pressure on those corporations. The other thing I would say is don't invent something that already exists. There are indigenous organizations and environmental NGOs that have been and will continue to work in the Amazon to protect indigenous land rights and to protect the Amazon. Support them. Send, send your donations their way because if they are on the ground making an impact, why would you try to create something new? Go where they are and support the work that they're doing. Hmm. How dire is the situation for some of those organizations though? I mean, we know that Brazil is kind of running uh, you know, under presidential experience right now kind of comparable to to the US in in the sense that there's lots of corruption there's lots of like um kind of like bu bullying into the negative extreme of how that actually takes place in reality and with that corruption and bullying comes a lot of disinformation and 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 i think just threat to some of the more um idealistic organizations that we have created in the recent human history 
Well, I mean, definitely the current um, government um, in Brazil, as you've um, mentioned, is not favorable to indigenous peoples, not favorable to environmental protection. It's not right now, that's not the battle I'm fighting because I have realized that um, my ability to use this film and use this story as a communicator is about sharing the message on the outside and is about empowering people on the outside to understand their connection to what's happening in the Amazon. If mm. I were to go to Brazil and be a campaigner and an advocate in the media on site in Brazil, I would probably risk um, not being able to do the work that I am also doing directly with the indigenous peoples from the Javari. Right. They've asked for two things from me. I've done more than that because that's how I am, but they've asked for two things. One, they want to build a community center in the border town next to their indigenous territory. What does that do? It gives them a place to gather. It gives them a place to have ceremony, gives them a place to be organized, which is empowerment gives them a place to offer continuing education for the youth that are leaving the territory. Um, and it's a bit of a refuge. So it's really <coughs> important to have that space. The second thing they've asked for is helping with uh, surveying their land. And that's where our modern technology comes into play. We have satellites, we have drone technology, we have a lot of ways of gathering data so that we can show and they can be their own witnesses and provide the evidence to the illegal activities happening on their land and basically build a case to say, our land is supposed to be protected. The government's job is to govern and protect that land, but these illegal activities are still happening. Who is responsible? So I again, the answer is several levels, right? You have the middleman. Is it the single guy going in to hunt turtles that is the most impactful? On a small scale, yes, because he may be uh, pushing to extinction the turtle population, which is one of the big things that they're going in for. Is that what we need to address? Or is it the corporations that are, oops, floating the logs illegally out of the indigenous territory and, oh my, they just happen to float over onto the Peruvian side where they can just pick them up. Mm -hmm. And then we're buying the wood to make furniture. That's a little more probable because this now goes into the investigation and holding accountable the corporations. But then also handing that information over um, and being able to make a case that the government isn't doing their job. Does that solve everything? No, but they asked me for help in surveying their land and that's what I'm doing. I wanna fix much more than that, but I have to listen to, to their requests. Right. And um, so directly speaking, yeah, those are the things. So just, just to jump in there, Celine, I think this is exactly why I'm so excited to, to have this conversation with you and the tribe that's listening and the tribe that's tuning in, I think, is increasingly growing in awareness and maturity to understand there is no silver bullet solution, you know, and um, I experienced it in my own thinking. It's something my brain would like to look for. And then I remember, right, this is kind of um, not based in reality. And, and so that's why I'm excited about the conversation with you, because you're one of those people who is able to to walk this utopian vision of earth in reality and meet it consistently where reality is at and then document that and then kind of create trim tabs that other people can can jump on uh in, into the conversation or into action right because you are right like if we were to drastically change our con consumption uh, and our consuming behavior in the western world 
things will change even more. And I think we've shown it in the past and, and you know, it, there's already um, more ethical behavior from companies out there that 10 years ago didn't even exist. And it, mm -hmm. it seems to be moving slow, but at least it's moving, right? And so if we can create this notion of a new normal of how we uh, demand uh, not just companies, but at some point also governments and maybe even religions to, to create um, like a regenerative agenda or narrative, I think that that alone could could move a lot. And so, so yeah, I, I'm I just I'm so appreciative for these messages because that's actually ultimately going to inform what I'm going to go and do even in the supermarket here in Victoria. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, it goes it goes back to what we were saying earlier of don't walk away with depression as a um, as something that immobilizes you and renders you catatonic. It's like, wait a second, no, you have power. You have tremendous power, and. I mean, even just the privilege of being able to watch a film and be educated, that in and of itself is a privilege. You, you, you walk into a movie theater and you're watching a documentary. That's, that's a privilege right there. So how can you keep spreading that word? And that's a little bit, you know, extending into our education initiative is we do Skype in the classroom sessions to make this information accessible to classrooms around the world. Yeah, tell me more about that. Computer. Yeah. What's that? Tell me more about the classroom sessions, because I think... Um, I'm an obvious fan and believer of education and, and like really fundamentally reshaping the education system um, and the way we can, we can spread knowledge and we can spread, um, yeah, like triggering to action kind of information. Uh, that's not an English word, but I made it up. So what are you, what's the classroom initiative you guys are running? And, and well, so Skype in the classroom, it's, it's free and accessible. Um, I have somebody managing <clears throat> the initiative and basically what we do is we uh, allot 30 minute sessions of time whenever I can schedule them sitting at my computer to classrooms anywhere in the world who are signed up to Skype in the classroom and the teachers will sign up and it, you know, it might be an artist, it might be an author, it might be an adventurer or a scientist. And basically they give 30 minutes of their time. Um, it's enabled me to, to talk to classrooms from Uganda to Argentina to Ohio without leaving my desk, which brings me to another point of you know it's fantastic to be able to travel to all these places and give conferences and actually present to the film but to be able to use uh, a computer and just have conversations is is equally as powerful we connected once we actually used zoom just as a as a tool through skype in the classroom we connected to 78 computers in almost 30 i think 37 or 38 countries at one time cool. so in terms of efficiency of outreach I, I think technology is, is at our fingertips to help us. Yeah, and the cool thing about technology is we, um, we're kind of in it to surrender to the serendipity factor of how messages spread, right? Which yeah. is much more, in my own words, is much more along the like cosmic principle of life and, and reality than trying to orchestrate something that, that'll just run into uh, political or um, economical kind of dead ends. So... That's very exciting. Um, how can people get involved in that or what kind of help would you want to ask for if, if, if somebody is inspired by this? Well, I think more than anything, you know, so first of all, I want people to be informed and go on the Tribes on the Edge website. Um, our bandwidth is, is, is small, so we may not be completely updated, but the three initiatives are action, communication, education. Um, any donations, because it's a nonprofit project, any donations that come in are helpful for us to continue the work we're doing. We are headed down to the Amazon in November to show the indigenous peoples the film. 
to assess the building of the community house and to take a step forward towards the land surveillance. So, you know, funding is critical in enabling us to get there and then come back. Um, I would say for us, that's kind of the biggest step forward now. We are looking to ally with other people, NGOs, individuals, ethnobotanists, um, anthropologists, scientists, who could be part of our education initiative and speak on behalf of the project, but not about the project using Skype in the classroom. So we would be able to orchestrate their sessions with different teachers and they can talk about biodiversity, they can talk about the Amazon, they can talk about indigenous people. So we're hoping to expand that, which requires funding as well. And then just kind of on a deeper level, and we touched a little bit on this, I think everybody has to do the work about understanding their perspective in the world. Who are they? What are they connected mm -hmm. to? Why does this matter? And what matters to you? If it's not the Amazon and indigenous people, what do you care about? And, and that's something that more and more I encourage people to do. This is my passion. I'm going to do it whether people are paying attention or not. I'm going to keep going forward. It's what I do. But if somebody cares deeply about a cause that is in their backyard, it could be homeless children, it could be animals in the street, it could be child welfare, whatever it is, I really want to encourage people to follow through with that. Because going back to the sort of in idea of interconnectedness of absolutely everything, what you do matters, period. Boom. How you do that. it and with what intention matters. The energy you put into the world makes a difference. And if you're putting positive energy into the world and you realize your own power and potential to create positive change, that in and of itself is in a good sense contagious and inspiring for people who will then go on and do their own work. And I think that's what we need more of. Celine, how do you get such a like strong optimism going on every day? <laughs> I make a decision. Um, I don't know that I'm optimistic. I don't know that I really well, you, feel you, like- you make me feel optimistic just by listening. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my role, actually. <laughs> I need to I make people feel optimistic. Um, there might be a career I, as a professional motivator right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's actually why I'm here. Um, you know, I feel, honestly, I feel like it's a choice, like it's a decision that I make. Um, I cannot live with or stand the idea of not having purpose, of not having a cause. It feeds me. It really does. Like, I think I need it as much as I can give in the world. Um, if I were to wake up every day and not know what I'm doing or why I'm here or not feel like I'm contributing to something bigger, I would wither away. So I believe that the idea of optimism is an idealistic one. I think it's the idea of purpose. And there are days it's gloomy and dark and grim. And you kind of just have to like wade through the mud and sort of, you know, slap it aside and you feel like you're drowning. Okay, well, go take a meditation class, go do yoga, drink an extra glass of wine, whatever it is that helps. And then pick yourself back up and start again. Um, I don't think we have, we have any excuses not to fight. I just, maybe I've seen things in the world that, that remind me of this, where I see people who have so little and yet they get up in the morning and they still fight. I turn on my tap, I have clean water. I'm drinking a glass of rosé as I'm talking to you. What's, what's the problem here? What, what is stopping me from doing more? Okay, yes, I'm tired. So what? I just, 
I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm a little harsh, but I just don't feel like we have many. Oh, I love it. Now. Believe me, this is this is really inspiring, and I think it's the right message that lots of people are, are going to pick up out of this interview. And I want to hear more actually about purpose specifically because it's a word that's been floating around for a little while as kind of like a new, like inward or it's an, it's in fashion for people to talk about purpose. But I feel like there's a variety of different discussions on what purpose is or how people can get there and. But when I hear you speak about purpose, it's like you're saying it's, it's what kind of almost supersedes optimism because it's the stronger force, right? So give us a little bit more if you can. I haven't really thought about it that way, but um, I guess based on what I just said and how you summarized it, yeah, purpose for me does supersede optimism um, because I think optimism requires, well, or at least maybe it's the assumption it requires you to be up, to be happy, to kind of, you know, have this sort of, energy that's um yeah that's optimistic it's you know people see light when they see optimism i think for me i see power um and and there's a lot of power in purpose because i perhaps really believe that if you're driven to something uh it gives you energy just as much as you need to put energy into it so i i have used the word purpose for a long time and now that you're telling me it's in fashion i'm gonna have to find a new one but <laughs> I always shy away from like the, the highest common denominator, I guess, but um, I feel like it's been my privilege to know that I'm fighting for something and to know perhaps my place in this world and to feel small, um, to really feel tiny in the scope of what this planet is and yet be able to do so much. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it does, it does it's kind of how I see it. And I feel like, um, you know, when we truly con connect with, with nature and with our internal self and stillness, how could we not feel small? Like we're, we're, mm. we're very meaningful, but we're also like totally meaningless. And unless we're united in the way we, we um, are humans, we're completely meaningless, in my opinion. Um, we're not I, necessary on this planet. I think that's what scares the shit out of people. <laughs> wow, I love it. Yes, no, we're definitely not necessary on this planet. We're like an, we're you know, we're like an experiment of consciousness. If it's like, what about this animal creature? What if I drop consciousness? Into Let's this see planet? how they fare over a couple of generations. <laughs> yeah. So we we got to do better on that. And so I I feel like when I listen to you speak, there's no there's no doubt. Uh, or no question about purpose and that you've just found it and it was just really clear. And so can you share about that? Like maybe it was something in your childhood, maybe something the way you grew up, maybe around the people that were surrounding you or, or the education system you went through or, or just traveling. But like, what was it that made it so clear? This is purpose. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm here on this planet to do. Um, that's a good question. I never thought about it that way. I don't know that it was any one thing. I can't identify a moment where my, my whole life shifted and I was like, oh, this is why I'm here. <laughs> uh, I think everything influenced the way I am. I, it's, un, you know, it's undenying that I grew up in a family that was perhaps not ordinary, um, that traveled the world. And therefore I saw that access to the world and our place in the world was um, pretty natural in terms of connecting everything that happens everywhere to what we are. Uh, my natural curiosity of human behavior, I studied psychology in my undergraduate degrees, I studied intercultural relations in my master's, 
I want to know how people function. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know why we behave the way we do. How do we shift the behavior? Uh, what inspires us? What motivates us? All of that was just kind of my own curiosity of human beings. And then inter, I guess, um, interconnecting the two and putting the human in the environment um, happened because I was just out in the world and that having those experiences maybe in traveling, um, being in the Amazon when I was younger, going up and doing filming the gray whale migration with my dad and ending up in Barrow, Alaska and you know, arc, flat Arctic tundra on one side and the Arctic sea on another. It doesn't get any more barren than that. And just kind of going, oh, this is life. Like, this is pretty awesome. Like bringing these stories back. Um, there was a time that I, and this again, sounds very um, out of the ordinary, but we were filming humpback whales and I got a chance to um, film and swim a mother and her calf. And there was a, we knew, she knew we were there. She you know, she let us be with her because she could easily get away from us. And there was a moment where she just looked at me and our eyes met. And I just kind of, I don't know how to describe it. it I think that's the first time I felt really small and so insignificant and so relevant. And it was a moment where I felt like my existence was acknowledged, not by other human beings who were chatting with me, but by this majestic animal who was like, I see you little critter. <laughs> wow. I think it's a combination of all those things. Um, wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful moment. Thank you for it. No, it was, I mean, that, yeah. anybody who gets to travel, doesn't matter if it's, you know, big animals or whatever it is, go meet people, hmm. go pet homeless dogs. I pet everything that walks by, you know, and it's just, you just become part of it. You become part of everything. And I, maybe this is a bit esoteric, but I kind of feel like, I mean, first of all, everything is interconnected. It's one life on this planet. Um, if you start to connect with more pieces of it, you realize it's all just a part of you. I, I was actually- is isn't too esoteric for me at all. No, I love it. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. So you'll appreciate this part. The, um, I was just up in London at the Flourishing Diversity Summit and I hosted the first listening session. And it was with the spiritual leaders uh, up in the Sierra Nevada from Colombia. They consider all of us, the rest of us out in the world, their little brothers. Since the time of Christopher Columbus, they had not left the Sierra Nevada. When Christopher Columbus came and invaded, they cut off their bridges and went up in the mountains. And it continued their spiritual work to heal the earth and reconcile the damage. They have realized that little brother, all of us, were really making a big mess of it. And obviously their spiritual work from a distance isn't enough and they have to come and speak to us. So they have left their mountains and they actually showed up in London. Um, and it was interesting because first of all, we are making a muck of it. <laughs> you know, we need to be put in a corner and have a, have a good talking to. But the way they see it is there's no difference in life between the water, the trees, a dead leaf, human beings, and animals and dirt. It's one. Um, there's no separation between any one of those parts. And when you start to think that way, you realize, wow, let's, okay, let's go esoteric. What if everything is one? Then I'm, I'm one small piece of something much bigger. What if I'm sick? What if I'm unhealthy? What if I'm damaging the things around me? Am I not hurting myself? Am I not the same? Um, so I think on that, in, in that way, it's, um, I don't know, it reconnects you with everything. Those were the Kogi from the Sierra Nevada? Yeah, so yeah, they're so from the Arawako, mm -hmm. but it's the, the Kogi also have the mammals. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're familiar. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm familiar. I was, um, and I've, in, I've interviewed some people from the CL Foundation um, who created the Holistic Vision Symposium in Barcelona last year. I was, I was there in person. I, I, I met some of the, the mamos and, and it just like being in their presence, uh, people that don't talk, people that just like have a strong energy field. I was like, wow, this is basically like me meeting an alien because they're so far away from the human beings I'm used to uh, in the world around me. And so it, it it, it just was very humbling be, because mm. it felt like these beings have a much deeper insight into time and space. And I don't know if that makes sense to people listening, but just the <coughs> way um, their presence, also their presence in my internal screen um, was happening. I, I felt that there's a power that is much beyond the regular magic of, of the Western kind of um, physical plane. And yeah, and I, it makes sense to me. Um, if that helps at all, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel that if we could treat that kind of understanding, that kind of spirituality, access to the subconscious, the unconscious, um, you know, our, our, our deeper abilities, um, the same way we approach religion, then we would have a better understanding. Religion is wildly, wild, wildly, widely <laughs> accepted. Um, across the planet and people disagree upon it, but there are a lot of different religions, right? And yet we believe in something we can't touch. So why would it be any different for the, the mamos or for the other spiritual leaders who believe in the oneness of everything on this earth? It shouldn't be. Well, it isn't, right? And, and so this is, I think, why it's important for us to talk about it um, and just normalize the conversation and the curiosity about these topics. Mm. Because, I mean, the mamos specifically, as far as I'm informed, they've spent the first like 17 or 18 years of their life in a cave. And so um, they just grew up in a very different way, connecting to maybe the internal realm. Uh, much, much stronger, obviously, like decades, two decades almost. Um, so I, I could see how that makes us a different life form of human beings and yeah. of by no means am i saying that like everyone should do that i think there's a reason why we've turned out the way we've turned out but connecting the dots and understanding that as we are one these different voices are maybe very interesting to consider and uh, to to kind of have uh, inform some of our actions on a more holistic uh, level because if i look at it you know the the western world that's dominating culture right now globally and i've traveled the world the last 15 years multiple times and I'm seeing it the western world is spreading more and more and more we we're kind of empty when it comes to this feeling of interconnectedness and I feel a lot of people are craving uh, belonging a craving being seen a craving moving out of the cycles of depression into um, you know just just being with each other and the mind, the brain has a hard time justifying it at times because things need to make sense, need to earn a living and all these things. And, and yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about any and all of those conversations and especially someone like you, Celine, who's, who's like in that energy regularly, who's an ambassador between the cultures, I would say. Yeah, I, um, so the, the issue of craving belonging is one that I have thought about for several years. Um, and is the subject of a project I'm working on, actually. So um, you're spot on for touching on that, I think. Um, I do feel like all we're doing right now through a lot of our searches for our people is returning to this idea of tribal commitments, tribal community, 
And I, I use the word tribe and tribal cautiously. It's in, it's in the, um, it's the title of the film, Tribes on the Edge, because it's accessible to a lot of people. Um, and I don't want to misstep or um, lack any kind of honor for indigenous peoples. But I do feel like we are still looking for our tribes. We're looking for where we belong. And that attracts us to social media groups. And we look for our people on Facebook. It attracts us to sports as fans. And we pledge our allegiance to the players. And we get really upset when, when the opposing team um, wins. Um, gangs is another example. Burning Man, perfect example. Totally. What are these gatherings about? Why, why do we feel that need to come together in ritual? One part is that we lack ritual in our lives. And so we look for it. Maybe it's just once a year with Burning Man. I think one part of it is that, you know, very deeply, we're all the same. We're all needing the same things. And once, once our basic needs are met, now we are open to distraction. We have food, water, shelter, maybe love. What do we do now? I have to entertain myself. So what do you do with that? I have to keep myself busy. What do you do with that? I want to keep myself distracted. What do you do with that? And I think this is when we start returning to, to the basic need of belonging. I love it. I like this conversation about belonging. And, and you know, if we look at it from a, a lens of science and kind of the, the incoming timelines of quantum physics and quantum science becoming proven in normality, we're also a closed molecular loop floating in space. Like, I mean, no molecule leaves the earth atmosphere to then just like join space and turn into the moon, right? Like, so, so I mean, we, we, we can look at it from the, the cosmonaut or astronaut's perspective of, and we know that phenomena exists, it's called the overview effect. Like people went into space and they came back to like, gotta tell you something, like the feeling out there is, is pretty intense because I look back and we're all just this pale blue dot together. And so, yeah. These are stories and narratives I'm excited to, to see become normality in our global society. And, and so my, my question for you in regards to that, um, it has to do with earth vision, but I want to go specific on education. If you could change the education system single-handedly, any part of the education system, what would you do and, and how, would you, how would you roll it out? Wow. Um, I think, first of all, I would just get kids outside, just outside, interacting with nature. Go pick up some bugs and dirt. If all you have is a park in your, in your town or a street corner, like go scratch in the dirt. Um, I think environmental education should be mandatory. I think um, connecting to people around the world should be mandatory. Once a week, you let's use our technology let's let's talk to somebody from a different culture different town different village different place um am i too idealistic to think education should be free for everyone at least through oh let's say 12 years old just so i can you know kind of come in at a good age um i don't think so i i think it should be free and mandatory go to costa rica they don't put their money in an army they put their money in education and infrastructure it seems to work fine for them um, granted, they have Big Brother United States to defend them if, if they're attacked, but uh, I think we're, you know, we do our people, we do our, the next generation a real disservice when we don't value education. Um, bring the salary of teachers up. What is that about? Why, why do sport players get paid so much? And that's great. It's fun. I'm not against it. 
but why is it that teachers are not making a decent salary when they're education, educating our next generation? That makes no sense to me. So yeah, I would, I would up their salaries for sure. <laughs> I think all the teachers are, are, loving, are loving that you said that. But I don't think I'm the only one. No, I think it's I, just, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying something a lot of people think. I mean, I look at the teacher, you know, my child was in first grade last year and I see his teacher, I'm like, I, I don't worship the ground he walks on. I so value him as an educator. I'm like, what can we do for you? How can we help you? Can I bring you muffins? Like, what can I do? Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's noble, I mean, it's maybe not the right word, but I do think it's an honorable and a, um, a loyal position to take. And it's one that is done, yeah, through the love of, of teaching and certainly not for the luxuries. Yeah, and like, how can we expect people to initiate children into an abundance consciousness? if we keep them systematically at, at the line of poverty. Totally. Clear. Yeah. Just like, don't, you know, don't talk about too serious stuff. I, my child is seven and a half. He's watched my film probably too many times at this point. Um, but we do, we do talk about big stuff. I don't, you know, he asked me, he's like, you know, what happens when people die? And I don't answer him in mince words. I say, well, this is what happens to the body. And then different people have different ideas of what happens to the rest. He's like, well, what's the soul? <laughs> You know, and so I think to be able to just listen, kids are extraordinary. They ask really good questions. And if you could just stop what you're doing for a second and put your phone down and actually think about what they're asking and answer them honestly, and maybe you don't know. And then you say, you know what, let's go talk to somebody. Let's go look it up. Let's go listen to somebody speak about the unconscious. Well, then all of a sudden we have a generation of kids who are not undermined, who are not underestimated, who are deeply connected who hopefully will become good human beings, which I think is a pretty good service to the planet. Like if we can raise good human beings, that's, that's a pretty good thing. I vote for that. That's amazing. I have a follow-up question. It goes a little broader and this yeah. is, this is kind of my, um, yeah, it's just the, the ethos that's really alive in me. Um, you know, I got, I got this downloaded several years ago about, uh, what the indigenous cultures around the globe are already embodying and living for, for thousands of years. But basically, our society is set up in short-term thinking around the ego construct. And um, while that is good for what it was, I believe there is an expansion into a seven-generational thinking required. And um, what I mean with that personally is, is not going back to the indigenous, but just to em embrace the knowledge and the wisdom that's on the planet and embrace that when we have perspectives that are beyond our own lifetime, we actually think fundamentally differently, right? And so with that preface, I would love to just ask you, like, what is your earth vision? What is your, uh, you know, dream, your hope, your desire for Pachamama or, or planet Earth and what it can turn into? Like, what do you truly see as possible and believe in and, and drives you to do this work? Um, yeah, that's a broad and big question. <laughs> um, wow, my hope and dream, you know, I, I think if I'm truthful, um, I don't know if the human species will survive. I do think that the planet will. But while we're here, my my hope and my dream is that we understand how to take better care of her and 
perhaps even selfishly for us. When we look, you, you mentioned seventh generations. Um, if you look ahead that far, you start to realize that everything we do matters. I was just having lunch with a friend today and um, just as a segue, um, you know, she said, she said, I, uh, I just don't know that people care enough. That's, that's my fear. Apathy is my fear. So I think if, if I have one hope, it would be that people start to care more and not worry mm. about how much that's, that's going to impact them or if it's going to hurt or if it's going to be hard, um, but to not turn their back on caring. Mm. For people to care more. <sighs> yeah, that definitely arrives. <laughs> I can feel it. Well, Celine, thank you so much for taking the time um, in your really busy schedule and busy schedule traveling to, you know, see those messages, to connect with the people that are ready and that are listening, that do care and activate um, more of what is within your purpose. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to address or put attention to? Well, I think you've, you've gone deep and I appreciate that. Um, I think these kinds of conversations energize me and I hope they energize people that are listening um, because there's a lot of us out there. We are connecting in, in many different ways, not just on the radio and podcasts and interviews um, to know if anything, we're going to keep fighting to do good. And um, so I think that if that's helpful at all, when people are depressed, use that as energy um, to start fighting. Thank you, Celine. My pleasure, Julian. And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I truly hope you had a good time listening to this interview and gain some form of new perspective, inside or knowledge that serves you, that enriches your life. And if that's the case, make sure to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, follow the social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and simply be part of the conversation, one step at a time, wherever you are, have yourself a stellar day.